everyone. Welcome back to our Shepherd Podcast. Pastor John Carolis here with Pastor Scott Seidler. And today we're talking about the importance of Christian hospitality. We'll, of course, be speaking from the perspective of trying to create a church that is characterized by hospitality okay. when people experience our ministries, worship with us, walk with us. But the hope is that in your own Christian living and us individually, we can emulate and reflect some of that same idea because theologically speaking, um, it's, it's a critical part of what it means to be someone who follows Jesus to be hospitable. So, Pastor Scott, when it comes to Christian hospitality or hospitality in general, what thoughts cross your mind? Um, well, I think uh, the, the number one word is just be normal. Um, do unto others, right, that golden rule, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. Uh, think about what it means for you to be received hospitably, how you enjoy being recognized and welcomed and feeling like you are not an intrusion in a person's life. And if you can make that uh, judgment from your own point of view, you are at least on your way to being able to reciprocate. And uh, so I, I'm always asking the question, um, how would I want to be treated? If I came into someone's house, someone comes into my house, the church, my office, how would I want to be treated? And I try to reciprocate. It's a little bit like the conversations you have with people, and there's different degrees to which you'll be honest and open with them. How long of an answer do you want when somebody says, how are you doing today? Right. Uh, do they just want to you know, be acknowledged that they've said something to you, you want to say something back, and that's the end of the interaction? Or do they want you to sit down in your office or on your couch and actually listen to the things that are causing you stress, the things that are giving you joy, right. and all of that thing. And I think, you know, when, when you're not sure where you land with somebody, or maybe when you're in an environment mm -hmm. like a church, or visiting somebody's home for the first time, or grabbing lunch with a colleague, uh, the question before you is, am I willing to entrust myself right. to this person? Do I really want them to know maybe the things that I'm cynical about, or the things that I'm struggling with, or the things that are uh, causing me a great deal of, of stress or, or suffering, or, or whatever it might be? And the question is, you know, am I willing to take that next step with somebody? Right. So as you think about churches that have exhibited the kind of warmness, the kind of welcoming environment that allows someone to be themselves, what kind of you know, things from your own life experience fill your mind? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with the whole definition of hospitality, hospitality takes time and you can't microwave hospitality. Uh, put that in your hopper. Uh, you can't fast cook hospitality. So, you know, a church or a person, frankly, it's there's no difference that wants to show hospitality. You have to create some level and allow for some level of spaciousness. Um, you know, as people come in, hospitable is not rushing them through the narthex. Here's the bulletin. Go sit down. It is the ability to uh, linger with them and to be patient. Uh, if there's someone, for instance, that comes into church and I'm out there greeting at 929 and I know I've got one minute left until I'm supposed to be up front leading worship, I make a mental note in my mind that if I am 30 seconds late, nobody's going to care. And the people who do care, I've made the judgment they can care, but I'm not going to care about their caring because what I'm not going to do is microwave the hospitality for this new visitor that just came in and is trying to get accommodated to this very new worship location that they have entrusted the care of their souls to. So, so that for me is uh, a word that puts uh, that, that is put alongside hospitality, and that is the word spaciousness. 
there's definitely that sort of I'm going to create space for you. I want this to be a space you feel comfortable in kind right. of element to it. Yep. And I think there's also an interesting kind of two-part, two-way street uh, part of hospitality as well, where hospitality and, and home-ness is something that we actually have to both contribute effort to, both right. put time toward, both put trust toward. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, we, we want to be the ones that go first. We want to be the ones that personally as Christians and also just as leaders of, of a church, you know, we want to create an environment where we'll say, hey, we're willing to take the first step. We're right. willing to open ourselves up. Right. We want this to be a place where you feel you can do the same. Yep. And then we can continue to grow our relationships so that there's a meaningful a meaningful support here, meaningful encouragement here, yeah. a, a meaningful home. And don't you think, John, when I look at, at churches, you know, broadly across all denominations, there seems to me to be like a, a competing interest at work. And on the one side, there are churches who want to show lavish hospitality to the guest, to the visitor, to the parishioner. On the other side, there are churches that want to show lavish hospitality to the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And sometimes what I find is that it's it's an either or as opposed to a both and. Um, you know, those churches that show lavish hospitality seem too casual on welcoming God. Those churches that are maybe what we call high church and, and anxiety ridden about all kinds of liturgical detail seem, you know, blindly unaware of the visitor. I mean, just speak a little bit to that from your own point of view, because you, you've been raised in a, a time within our Lutheran denomination where it seems to me the trend is more toward the liturgical, welcoming God side of you mm. know, hospitality, mm. and we're forgetting the fact that we're still human beings. Yeah, that is a thought-provoking question. And one that just, I mean, when, when you're speaking, this, this idea uh, jumped to mind, and then I wanted to hear the rest of your question and, and, and understand that, like, you know, we're coming from a context where there is that strange kind of competing theological interpretive difference mm-hmm. where, and, and this is how sometimes I try to describe denominational differences to people that maybe don't have a lot of church background. You know, when you come into our church, this is what it's going to be like, but you have to understand we're coming at it from this mindset, from this belief, from this background and foundation. And maybe what you are used to or what you've experienced before is coming at it from a different presupposition, from a different set of values, from a different background. Uh, For me, I've always been raised in churches that had kind of multiple worship styles. And so there was no strangeness to that for me. It just made sense that people had a a choice before them as to what kind of worship service they wanted to do. And that's, of course, a pretty large step toward accommodating the visitor, accommodating Mm -hmm. the person sitting in the pew. Um, But I never thought that there was a dismissal of this idea that we're also welcoming God to be among us. And and what's interesting is that in our denomination, right, high church, high liturgical, art, high, uh, high vestments, high church, you know, to use a, a crass word for it, decorations, you know, mm. these kinds of things that um, all, have, all have a great deal of meaning and significance. But if you're right. uninitiated, yeah. it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's, it's, it's meaningless. It's exclusionary. Um, it's and, confusing. And yeah, and that's where hospitality then starts to break down. I would say there is, though, on you know, in other denominational circumstances where churches that are extremely highly charismatic, mm-hmm. where they would overtly say, we are here to welcome the presence of God and mm-hmm. we just want to be right. a bystander in the midst of that. There right. is a similar effort toward 
the kind of experience both places are trying to have. Right. Um, whether it be from the incense and, and, and smoke filling the, the nave or the fog machines filling the, you know, right. the arena or whatever, um, yeah. both of these worship styles are curating a kind of worship experience that makes it mm -hmm. clear that the person walking in is, is actually there just to see what's happening yeah. and, and, and watch. It is fascinating to me that one of the fastest growing denominations in our country is the Assemblies of God. And frankly, like I am scared to death to go into an Assemblies of God church, not because of anything, any judgment about the people, but because I do not practice the miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues, I am literally scared to death going in there and feeling like because of that very mm. literally vocal presence of God that I'm going to be like sticking out like a th sore thumb. You know, here's the mute guy <laughs> standing in the back while everybody else is in the midst of a charismatic experience, you know. But, it, but you're right. It, it, it crosses. It's not just liturgical worship that can be exclusionary or, you know, different. It's also the charismatic side. Fascinating. And that's, that's where that, that uh, background mindset, you know, what, what, it's coming from the, the same value right. uh, in pursuit of this worship experience that's like that. Yeah. And, and you're right, it contrasts against the one that just wants to make you comfortable with being in the room. Right. We want you to have um, coffee and snacks available to you before you exit the parking lot and come into the lobby or the narthex. We want to make sure that there's somebody who has greeted you and you've been met five times, six times before you've sat down in, right. in the pew, that you've got literature and digital resources already in hand and in mind right. as you're waiting for the service to start and kind of going that far forward into hospitality as making somebody uh, who hasn't been there before feel like they have no questions about what's going on. Right. Um, where we see this, I think, for me, in our contemporary setting in Mountain View, uh, the, the, the kind of tension I feel is when, when people come in, there's, we're in this contemporary setting. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of the theater style worship space. And so uh, when we sing some songs that elicit you know, emotional reactions, and so people that get into worship in that way may raise their hands right. in worship, which for our traditional, more liturgical settings, is not really a part of it. If anything, it's about actually, you know, genuflecting, getting lower to the ground, you know, trying to yep. um, almost uh, uh, a base keep, keep those things, right? Right. right. Yep. And, and keep those things hidden. And so I, the tension I feel is, how do I encourage an environment where someone like me who just raising my hands was not a part of my worship mm. life as a child, as a young adult now? Um, and so it would be, you know, it would be, disingenuous to raise my hands, right? But also right. I don't want someone to feel like they're not allowed to. Right. And then in our traditional setting where we distribute communion around the chancel, around the rail, the communion mm -hmm. rail, uh, I, as, and you do it too, I'm sure, as, as a pastor standing up there at the altar, you're looking around and noticing who is watching the crowd to figure out what's the communion process? Right. How does this work at this church? Because it's different everywhere. It's exactly right. And, uh, and it's a puzzle. And so those are the places where I think as a church, we see uh, the opportunity to try and communicate around hospitality. Hey, how, wherever you land on raising your hands or keeping them down, wherever you land on how your home church distributes communion, how can we create a place where you don't feel embarrassed right. or you don't feel pressure in the midst of those environments? Yeah. Well, and again, it, for me, it comes down to spaciousness. How much are you trying to pack into 
you know, this hour-long worship service. If I go into, again, to use an example that is not our Lutheran church, uh, if I go into an Assemblies of God church and for a straight hour they are talking in tongues, there is no ability for me to participate meaningfully in that. So, you know, I'm sure that does not happen, by the way. I'm sure that if I would go into an Assemblies of God church, there would be that time of charismatic expression, but then there was would probably also be spaciousness for a word of welcome from the pastor, orientation to how to become a more par participating member of the congregation, those kinds of things. And I think the same then holds true, you know, coming back into our Lutheran tradition, which is, look, if, if we're going to essentially do a, a replication of the high Roman mass from beginning to end with all the parts and pieces, that does not allow for a lot of spaciousness for just normal welcoming and greeting and, and, and conversational kind of engagement with the congregation. And so, you know, that's where here at Shepherd, we're always trying to find the balance of we, we will be liturgical, but we're not going to be liturgical to the point that I don't have the opportunity to meaningfully kind of come down off the pedestal and just say, hey, welcome, I'm Scott. I'm the same guy in front as I am in the back and would love to be able to talk with you over coffee and so on and so forth. So um, I think for me, the takeaway is spaciousness, both personally, making space, time, emotionally being able to welcome. And if I ask you how you're doing and you go into some long diatribe, I'm not sitting there looking at my watch like, oh gosh, how long is this going to take? Finish it up, people. I got to move along with my life. Emotionally available, uh, physically, time-wise uh, available, and you're on your way to at least having a chance to show hospitality to whoever you're talking to. What about you? What's your takeaway? A uh, big takeaway for me is, uh, yeah, how can I have a conversation with somebody that, that kind of proves to them that this is a time to be together where we can, you know, we actually believe what's happening here, right? Like this is, this isn't something we're just going through the motions. Uh, you know, we're not up there kind of just uh, practicing or watching the band perform a song, but it's something that we can participate in, whether it's quietly, silently on our own or loudly, proudly, hands held high, um, having an emotional moment. And then also exactly having the time and space before Church starts after the service is over to gather on the patio or grab a cup of coffee and sit down and say, hey, how has it been since your mom's moved into memory care? Or right. how's the recovery from that procedure going? Um, you know, did you make the golf team? All that, all that kind of stuff, you know, right. giving space for meaningful connection. Because I think theologically speaking, scripturally speaking, when we look at what Jesus' ministry um, did functionally, how he connected with people, how he mm -hmm. spoke with authority, okay. uh, but then but then exhibited the truth behind that teaching right. into the lives and connections he was making is right. super important. Before, before we end, I would love to hear kind of just from your own personal, whether it's life experience, church experience, what are uh, one or two of the hospitable moments or maybe lack of hospitality you've experienced that influence your uh, creation of, of hospitality today? Yes. Well, first, number one would be Pastor Jim Reins who, in my childhood congregation, Peace Lutheran Church in Morris, Illinois, uh, Pastor Reince would uh, go to great lengths to know everybody's name. Uh, and it was a large church, you know, about, I don't know, eight, 800,000 members uh, by the time he, uh, he retired from that, that congregation. And, um, and, and whenever you came home from college, he was a very uh, committed personality. And he would, you know, just 
bam, shake your hand, squeeze your hand. You'd be like, oh, I'm dying here. But he knew your name. And uh, not only that, but, uh, you know, before or during the service, if he felt there was something out of place, especially the temperature of the room, he would walk down the side aisle at 100 miles an hour. He'd futz with the, uh, you know, analog thermostat, and then he'd go back up into the chancel. And I always thought about that because uh, in my early ministry, because I wanted to show that same level of environmental awareness so that there was nothing distracting from the uh, experience of worship. And so that would be my number one thing. And the second thing uh, from my uh, mentor, Dave Cook, uh, who was a senior pastor at St. Luke Ann Arbor, um, he was in the middle of a huge building program and we would meet monthly at the Jade Palace or something like that, Jade Gardens. And I would just ask him all manner of question about, you know, his ministry and what's it like to be a senior pastor and this, that, and the other. And, and he would pour out his heart. You know, he'd just share exactly what was happening. And I remember he, he told the story about getting into a very uh, animated, let's put it that way, conversation with his worship director who had dropped the speaker array r about six feet above the altar in their new sanctuary. And it was, it was acoustically the place that it needed to be, but it was absolutely garish in being that close to the altar. And so he was telling me about how he finally just had to simply say, that speaker array is going up 10 feet, and I don't care how it sounds, because we are not going to compromise the vision of this altar space that we're spending millions of dollars building because there's a speaker array appropriately placed six <laughs> feet above the Lord's Supper. I mean, it was so funny listening to him talk. And he was so wise and he was generally so patient and calm. But he was so intense about making sure that there was spaciousness for everything and that nothing felt compressed or out of place. Those are my two stories. What about uh, you? Thank you. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think relationally there's there's a there's a development point where you're willing to hear, you know, somebody who's who's known for being a hospitable person, a personable, gentle, kind, welcoming, friendly person and uh, and yet every single human being gets frustrated about things. Mm -hmm. And for someone with that kind of personality, when 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 you work with them, walk with them long enough where now they're able to share the things that frustrate them in, right. a, in an honest way, you know, not in an angry or, you know, you know kind of a, a problematic way, but right. in a friendly way and able yep. just to share burdens together. That's a, that's, that's a cool thing. That's, that's cool. a really important thing. Um, personally, I think of the, just the, the, the angle that my parents um, raised us in as far as how to use the space God had given them in their home. And mm -hmm. um, throughout my childhood and, and even into my adult years, after I'd gone to college, they were always willing to house somebody mm -hmm. if they needed a place to be, Love whether that. it be um, a family member who was traveling during the week, but kind of needed a safe place away from home over the weekend, sure. who would travel through town and stop and, and you know be with us for a few days at a time, or even you know somebody who needed uh, three months of housing because they're facing some difficult personal circumstances and needed to be somewhere, right. being willing to welcome them into our world and then living honestly with right. them there, you know, and, and being okay with the fact of, hey, we know we're going to be living alongside each other, 
my dad still has pastoral responsibilities. He's going to be in and out of the house, you know, at different times as okay. the primary spiritual caretaker, that kind of thing, you know, having to go to the nursing home or to the hospital mm-hmm. at all manners of the day while also trying to balance, you know, well, this is an independent adult living with us, you know, not having to give them a curfew, but also right. trying to figure out courteousness. Um, but that, that commitment they had to being generous with their space was something that continues to have an influence on me. Wow. And, and Very I'm cool. trying to, you know, our hope is that we can apply these things into our church experience. But I think both of our encouragement to anyone listening is, what is the way your life can begin to be shaped by the hospitality that Jesus displays? And Jesus even encourages, and, and I would say go so far as to command. Uh, he, 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 he teaches us to be welcoming people, to be people that are willing to go first and open the door and create a, a possibility for a connection with others that they might experience through us his love and his connection. For sure. You know, there's that passage in Hebrews chapter 13 where uh, the writer encourages the reader to uh, show hospitality to visitors because by doing so, you may entertain, and this great phrase, angels unaware. Um, that idea that um, the, the most majestic spiritual beings may be in some disguised form the ones that are seeking your welcome, the spaciousness of your emotions and your time. Um, that's a pretty profound word. And that's a pretty late word, by the way, in, in Scripture. Hebrews 13, the book of Hebrews, is a late book in the canon of Scripture. So that, that issue of hospitality seems to be on a crescendo, on a rise hmm. through the New Testament. And hopefully in our 21st century moment, we can even show greater hospitality than was envisioned there. I think the crescendo of the need of hospitality, um, I think that's so true and so, so important for us to keep in mind, not only church-wise, but also just so personally in our relationships with the people God has us already connected to. Yep. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes of, of today for today's podcast. We hope that this is encouraging and supportive for you. And we look forward to digging into deeper issues with you next time, which yep. maybe is, you know, we're going to talk about what are those times when you have to kind of draw the line? What is it? Uh, what is it about hospitality that sometimes you need to draw very clear boundaries around? You know, what if someone has transgressed some of those things and hospitality is no longer an option? Right. Uh, that happens. That's real life. So next time we'll talk more about some of those tougher issues, those tougher situations. But in the meantime, uh, God bless you. And we'll, we'll connect with you next time that we can uh, connect.